The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. Please stand for a reading from Selected Verses in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath, or that as in the water under the earth. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold, will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Be Please be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Chad Middlebrooks. I'm one of the other pastors here on staff, and I add my welcome to Wills. It's great to be with you this morning studying God's Word together. If you're visiting with us, we are in a series of the Ten Commandments, in a broader series of the study of uh, the book of Deuteronomy. And as you just heard read, and as we've said over the last couple of weeks, as we're studying the Ten Commandments, God graciously redeems His people out of slavery in Egypt before He gifts his people the law that he calls them to live by as they enter into the promised land. And in the first commandment, God tells us who we are to worship. We are to worship the one true and living God and him alone exclusively. And in the second commandment, he tells us how we are to worship the true God rightly. And then here in the third commandment, God is calling his people to speak and to act out of reverence to the God to whom we belong. And as one of our elders notes, this command can be written in the positive and can be uh, written this way, you have been given or you've been marked by my name, you will find your identity in me. Now in studying the third commandment, I think we'll find this morning that this command is actually much broader than we might think at the first read. And so let's pray and then we will jump in and study this commandment. Let's pray together. Father, help us as we come to your word this morning. Would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind to understand, a heart that will believe, and a will that will obey what we learned this morning. Father, teach us to delight in your law. Turn our hearts from lesser things around us that our eyes see, that we might glimpse even have a small taste this morning of your supreme glory. Come and do that now for the good of your people, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, the first four commandments are related to the worship of the living God. And these are related to forming God's people to a certain kind of people, a kind of people who can experience God truly, who can reflect God rightly to the world around them, and who can serve him out of great delight that brings fullness of joy and freedom. So worship is an expression of what is most important to you. 
And one pastor puts it well, he says this, he says, true freedom is experienced when we live before God with an attitude of loving reverence and respect for his character, his work, and his reputation. All of this relates to what it means to use the Lord's name in a worthy and honoring manner. And so as we gain to great understanding of this third commandment this morning, we're going to investigate this passage, this command, by way of three points. First, we're going to look at the heart of the command. Then we'll see the breadth and the depth of our command breaking. And then finally, we will learn of our hope in Jesus who perfectly keeps this command and pays the penalty for us as lawbreakers. Now, if we're honest, when we read the third commandment, it doesn't seem quite as weighty as the first two commands, right? I mean, after all, isn't it just about not swearing, using God's name? Well, my hope is that this command helps us to come to grips with the weightiness of God's name, and that we will gain not only a greater understanding of the name of God, but a greater reverence and an honoring of that name. I heard a a comedian talk about the importance of names, and he says this, he says, I have a cheese grater at home, which is its positive name. They don't call it by its negative name, sponge ruiner. Because it, I wanted to clean it, and now I have little bits of sponge that will melt easily over tortilla chips. Now, if you've ever tried to clean a sponge, I mean, a, a cheese grater, you know what he's talking about. Now, while silly, there's something that he's on to, because names aren't just labels. Names matter. Names are tied to the thing itself. And so in relation to a person, think about your name in a sense of your reputation, who you are, what you are known for. A name can be synonymous with the character of a person or the work of a person. A name carries with it significance and power as it's connected to the individual. Now this is true today, but it's even more so true In biblical times, and as Pastor John Mark Comer notes, he says, in ancient writings like the Bible, a name was way more than a label. It was your identity. It was your destiny, the truth hidden in the marrow of your bones. It was a one-word moniker for the truest thing about you, your inner essence, he says. Names are revelatory of the nature of a person. And so we must see this morning is that our treatment of a person's name reveals what we think about that person. And so therefore, if we misuse, if we mock, if we belittle a person's name, then we're misusing and mocking them personally. God's name identifies who he is. And in Exodus 3, when God says his name is Yahweh, which is built on the verb, I am who I am, he's revealing who he is, his character, his nature. He is the one who is eternal. He's self-existent. He's the one true God to whom belongs life and being and blessedness in himself. And so whenever we see the name of Lord or God or Jesus, we can insert character, attribute, reputation, identity, power. Because this is what the Bible's referring to by way of God's name. If you remember, after the incident with the golden calf, Moses, uh, when he goes back up to intercede for the people, he says to God, I want to see your glory. He wants to see a glimpse of the weight of what God is really like. And you remember what God says to him. He says to him, he says, you can't see my face and live, but I will cause my name, as it were, to pass before you. 
And he says, as he stands descending in the clouds with Moses, he proclaims his name, Yahweh. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means who will clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. You see what God's doing here? He is telling Moses, showing him the fullness of who he is by speaking to him. He says, I'll let you see me, but I'm gonna do it by speaking. And Moses, in his response, immediately falls down and he worships God because God has revealed himself through his name. And throughout the pages of scripture, we see this as God reveals his many names in various circumstances and situations. Like El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God who loves unconditionally. Jehovah Jireh, the, the God who provides. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Jehovah Mekadishkim, the God who sanctifies you. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. And Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. And the fullness and the final revelation of God's character is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, who reveals and reflects God's glory, his majesty, his reputation to the entire world. And remember what Jesus says as he prays to the Father in John 17. He says, Father, I have revealed your name to the people to whom you've given me. I've made your name known. Or the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the Romans and he reassures them, he says, everyone who calls on the what? the name of the Lord will be saved. And then after Jesus' resurrection, his followers in Acts 4, they say there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. This is the heart behind the command of reverencing God for who he really is, how he's revealed himself in his name, rather than misrepresenting or dishonoring him. You know, when a child is born, one of the most important things that parents do, one of the first things they do is give a name to the child. And naming really is an act of intimacy that it reveals in that naming. And so the one naming, the parent bestows upon the child this name that they are given. And it's an act to show them, hey, we want you to know us and we want to know you intimately. And because God is a covenant keeping God, he binds himself to his very people saying, I will not leave you, I will not forsake you. And so when God gives his name, it's an act of intimacy saying, I want you to know me. I'm the personal God that has come so that you can know me and know me intimately. And I wanna know you. And Ezekiel 36, after Israel's rebelled against God, he says to them, he says, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name which you've profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. The nations will know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God. And so what we see here is how we treat God's name reveals what we think about God. Because his name is who he is, if, it, his, if we treat his name as if it doesn't matter, it means that God doesn't matter to us. And as we know with increased significance, the greater the magnitude of the name. And since God is the name above all names, 
He deserves rightful honor, respect, and dignity that he deserves. This command calls us to have right regard for his holy and awesome name. But next, we see the breadth and the depth of our command breaking. What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? Now, when we think of vainness, we often think of self-centeredness or conceitedness. But the Hebrew for the word vain here really means vapor or mist. It's the image of emptiness or lacking of significance. The writer is talking about the way we take his name empty, not having any significance in using his name. To use the Lord's name in vain means to treat his name, his character, his substance, as if it's empty. It means nothing. And so let's briefly look at five ways that we can take the Lord's name in vain and treat it as if it has no weight in our lives. So first, we can take God's name in vain when we associate his name with our lips, but yet we damage his reputation with the actions and the way we live our lives. Now, if we profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we have been joined to him by faith, we've been baptized into the family of God, the Holy Spirit indwells our hearts, then we are part of the family. But if we profess that name and yet we misrepresent God, then we lie about who God is and his character. Our God is a God of patience, a God of steadfast love as we just heard read, a God of forgiveness, a God of grace. And so when we don't respond likewise with extending grace and forgiveness and mercy to others, we are misrepresenting the God in whom we profess. And when we posture ourselves as having superiority over others, we're damaging the reputation of God. Now our tradition is one who values right doctrine. And that is a very good thing to value. But Israel had right doctrine. And yet the Lord confronts them in the way that they were going through the motions and the way that they were misusing the name of God. In Isaiah 66, God reveals this disconnect that Israel had between their right doctrine and their right practice. And he says to them, he says, he who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. These have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in abominations. And I will also choose harsh treatment for them. When we use God's name and we attach it to things that he does not stand for or endorse, we are misrepresenting our king. And so when we use God's name in order to endorse things like racism or favoritism or gossip or gluttony or frivolous spending or living or any kind of other sin that God doesn't stand for, we misrepresent him. And we attach his name to anything that belittles the image of God or to any agenda that he is opposed to that runs contrary to his purposes, it's offensive to him. And it does incredible damage to his reputation. You know, when people ask, when you ask people who, you know, say, I don't want anything to do with God, and you ask why, typically their response is, well, I hear and see Christians say they believe this, but yet their lives live completely contradictory to that. And if that's what God stands for, and if that's what he's like, I don't want anything to do with him. In Matthew 7, Jesus speaks very soberly to this reality. 
He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You might might do mighty works. You might even see fruit come from your ministry, and you might do it in my name. But I will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Why? Because we may be using the Lord's name, and we may be attaching our name to his, but we are not submitting our very lives and entrusting ourselves to the very one in whom we profess. And Jesus says it's possible to have right doctrine, but to have a wrong relationship, which is really no relationship at all. And I will say, I never knew you. We can also break this command. We use God's name to profane or obscene manner, using his name as a curse word. This is likely what most of us thought the third commandment's all about. And it is in part. But in Leviticus 22, God says, you shall keep my commandments and do them. For I am the Lord, and you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. Now we've all had it happen. You drop something on your toe, you burn your finger on the stove, you run into something in the middle of the night, and you use God's name as a curse word. Because of our culture, it's a common thing. And we think, well, we hear it all the time. It's not that big of a deal. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean anything by it when I said it. It just kind of came out. But that's precisely the point. How can we flippantly use the name of the one who's redeemed us out of slavery to sin and made us alive in a moment of anger or to use it thoughtlessly, just throwing it around? Maybe you've never really thought much about it before, but your literal speaking of God's name in, in various circumstances carries weight. And you may think, well, it's just kind of a habit that I have. I'm really not thinking a whole lot about it. Well, if that's the case, this commandment requires of us to ask the Spirit to bring conviction and transformation in the way that we revere and honor the name of God. Because the way we conduct ourselves and our speech should increase the reverence of God, not diminish and disrespect it and the way we drag it through the mud. Our usage of God's name, it's a barometer of what's going on in our hearts. And Jesus says as much in Matthew 12. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so in using God's name in a manner that reveals that Jesus simply doesn't matter to us because we can just throw it around. You know, we can sanitize our language a little bit. We can maybe use other words to represent. Oh my gosh, Jeepers, creepers, or any kinds of other things, but really it's about the intent of the heart. What is at the heart of why we're using the name of Christ? If the Lord's precious to us, it should be revealed in the way that we speak about him. How do you find yourself regularly using God's name in your daily vocabulary? Is it giving reverence to the holy God? Or is it demeaning and dishonoring his very character? Another way we take the Lord's name in vain is by swearing by God's name in an oath, only to lie and testimony and vows. Now in the surrounding culture of this day, there was a thought that if you had the name of the God, of the pagan God and what they represented, then you kind of had power, you could use that name for your benefit. And so they would use the names of the pagan gods to use that power. And Jesus is saying, don't treat me like they try to use the pagan gods to manipulate and get a leg up. 
But we hear this and people say this all the time when they make a promise. I swear to God that I will do this or do that. And we're invoking God's name to use it. And in many cases that we're not even intending to carry out what we say we're going to do. When we use God's name in this way, we're using it thoughtlessly to invoke him. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses reminds the people who's bringing them out into the promised land. He says, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. So we see that it's not wrong to uphold and take God's name when we make a vow or an oath, but we are to keep that vow and that promise if we make it in the name of the Lord. Now we don't take many vows. We have wedding vows. We have membership vows if you're a member of a church. We have parents take vows when their children are baptized. But every one of these vows are taken in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so when we commit adultery, we're not just breaking a vow of faithfulness to whom we've made covenant. We are actually irreverently misusing God's name when we're not faithful to uphold that promise and that vow. Or when we fail to uphold our membership vows by neglecting to serve the church or we undermine the peace and the purity of Christ's church, we are misrepresenting the Lord and breaking this command. I hope we're beginning to see the, the broader range that this command really gets to in our lives. Fourthly, we can take the Lord's name in vain when we exploit God's name for our own self-advancement and our own gain. Anytime we use God's name to endorse our own desires, our own agendas, then we're emptying God's name of its significance. Children know how to do this. They understand this. Parents, you've likely heard this when you're children. I remember when our kids were younger and you overhear your kids and they don't know you're there and you hear one of them say, Dad said to give that to me. What are they doing? They're using mom or dad's name because they know it has power, it has authority behind it to get what they want, even though mom and dad didn't even say that. We do the same thing as we use God's name to endorse things that we desire. Or think about the way that we over-spiritualize something by bringing God's name into it, just to use it as a power play or as a trump card to endorse something that we really want. And oftentimes we do this subconsciously and so we have to ask the Spirit to bring conviction and to reveal our true motives of what's behind our usage of God's name. Lastly, we use the Lord's name in vain when we worship in God's name casually and flippantly. Now let's think about this time, what we're doing right now, Sunday morning corporate worship. We've all had it happen. We're singing, we're reciting our affirmation of faith and the mind begins to wonder. We get distracted and we start to think about what's for lunch in a couple hours. The emails I have to respond to tomorrow at work the tests or the papers that are coming up this week or why is that person wearing those two color combinations? And we just are going through the motions. We're singing, we're reciting what's before us on the page, but we are not giving any thought to the rich and glorious truths of Christ that we are saying and we are singing about. And so it's easy to empty God's name of his significance. If we don't ask the Holy Spirit to capture and engage our whole minds and our whole hearts in worship of the living God. 
Matthew 15, Jesus warns about this kind of thoughtless worship and practice. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. When our heart is emptied of the affections of God and our words are emptied of the truth of God, then our thoughts, our actions, and our words, they are in vain and they are empty before the living God. When we don't regard God's name as holy and a worthy manner, we're forfeiting something that is glorious, something that is precious, something that God is gifting to us. We're missing out on the weight and the glory of who God really is as he desires to meet us in worship and to comfort us, to encourage us, to strengthen us by his power. Hopefully we're beginning to see how this command clearly is a mirror that shows us how often we misuse the name of God and dishonor that name. At a deeper level, this command reveals there's something that's broken within us and within our loves. And if we're not careful, we'll be tempted to think, okay, the way that I overcome and the way that I uphold this command is I just need to try harder and I need to reform my language a little bit. But it runs much deeper to the heart. If you remember the sons of Sceva from our study in the book of Acts a year and a half, two years ago, they saw God's power at work over the evil spirits and they thought, huh, this sounds good. We might could capitalize on this. And so they were Jewish exorcists and they thought, we're gonna use the name and evoke the name as well to try to overcome these evil spirits. So these brothers tried to do it on these evil spirits and the evil spirits turned around and said, we don't know who you are. And they dominated them, leaving them bloodied and battered, running for their very lives because they were trying to use the name of God for selfish gain. You and I are just like the sons of Sceva. We have peddled God's name to further our own agendas, to pursue the things that we long for and the things that we desire. And we deserve judgment from trying to steal God's glory. Our name is associated with all kinds of things that we're not proud of, isn't it? Manipulation, coveting, hurting others in the way that we use our words, coveting and gossip and slander, stealing, lying. But Christ and him, we have a perfect name. We have perfect character and we have unlimited power. By his life, death, and resurrection, Christ comes and he gives us a new identity and a new name. Our only hope in life and transformation is the fact that Christ upholds this commandment perfectly where you and I fail and he paid the penalty that we deserve to pay. On the cross, Jesus looked to the very ones who always demean and devalue his name and he says to each one of us who's put faith in him, you matter to me. You matter so much so that the writer of Hebrews says that our names are written on the palms of his hands. Do you realize that's how much you matter to the Savior? Your name is written on his palms. Only when we begin to see the surpassing beauty and glory of God's name will we see how often we break it and misuse it in vain. The gospel, it gives us great freedom to confess and admit the ways that we misuse his name because his love covers a multitude of our sins. 2,000 years ago, they marched Jesus before a religious court, charging him for a crime he didn't commit. And you know what that crime was? Blasphemy, misusing God's name, claiming to be the very God. And the one, the only one who's ever walked this planet who's never broken that commandment 
was condemned for that very law. And he goes to the cross in order to free every one of us who is guilty of committing that crime and breaking that law. The perfect son is condemned in our place so that we could be set free. God's name is one of amazing grace for repentant sinners like us. And so may the name that we often misuse be the very name that we run to to experience forgiveness, healing, and restoration. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are safe. We will not live for God's glory and use his name rightly until we taste and see that indeed he's worthy of honor, praise, and glory. As Paul writes in Colossians 3, whatever you do, in word, in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Would that we, members here at LNPC, be known as a people who revere and steward everything we do, our thoughts, our words, our actions, and everything in between in reverence to the holy and awesome name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord of heaven, may your name be hallowed in all the earth. Lord, would you begin with us here at LNPC, begin with me. Would you, in our own hearts, allow us to revere your name with the weight and the honor and the dignity that it is due. Holy Spirit, would you bring conviction in our lives of the ways that we profane your name? And would you keep us from further doing so? Father, strengthen us that we might live, speak, and think in ways that honor and steward well the name that you have bestowed upon us. And we pray this in the matchless and awesome name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen.